Welcome to another episode of Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Exerson, and in this episode, I am talking to Jolie Hudson, the CEO of Spark. Jolie talks about how you build a strong leadership team that can adapt to a fast-changing world of digital services and what digital trends that we should really be excited about, plus much more. introducing yourself. Kia ora tato, Jolly Hodson, toko ingana. I'm Jolly Hodson, Chief Executive of Spark. So tell me a bit about your background and your history and where you come from. Okay, so I've been at Spark for around uh, six years, so I've moved through different roles. I came originally from um, CFO, then moved into Customer Director. Before that, if I roll right back, um, I worked across a number of different industries, so across FMCG, uh, for Lion for many years in Australia, so 12 years there, and then Deloitte's prior to that. Um, I'm one of three girls, so in terms of my family background, so brought up mainly uh, in Auckland, moved around a little bit when we were younger, but most of my school years were in Auckland, uh, Westlake Girls, we turned in Auckland Uni. Um, do you have any morning routine that you follow? Look, I'm a, for me, morning is a great thinking time, so I'm quite an early starter and I'd generally be at work by about 7am because I think that's the time I can reflect on my day and I can think about what's happening and also put aside the time to think not only about what's happening in the short term but in yeah. the longer term and I think that's one of the biggest things when you, particularly when you step into a role like this where there are, we were on a 24-7 business so there could be many things that can take your attention at any point of the day. You've got to allow yourself to have that thinking space so you can guide and show up and be the best version of yourself as a leader for the important conversations that will then happen throughout yeah. the day. What does your normal like work to work and day involve? Like what is how do you, you start your day yeah, with reflection? One of the things I've certainly in shifting into the CRO has made sure that I've created time to have that thinking because I think that's pretty important. But my day can vary quite a lot from speaking at events, doing a podcast like this today for the things that I'm passionate and involved in, so whether that's the Climate Leaders Coalition, uh, whether that's Women in Business, and obviously there are multiple uh, customers I work with as well in terms of my role and spending time with them. And then from a regulatory perspective as well with the government and the things that we're working on to try and advance some of the things that are important to our business. So it's varied. And obviously any day too, it's working with my leaders. Yeah. So who help me create a great place and spark for our people to be. So the telecom industry have changed quite a lot the last decade. How would you describe the change? I think the transformation has been um, significant for us and it's the pace at which it moves, the competition that we now have. So it's very much a global uh, sector and industry. So geography used to uh, contain, I think, what you did within a particular market. That's no longer the case. And it's not the traditional uh, telco competitors that I look at most. It's also the digital services providers because that's really what we've moved Mm. from. From being, you think of the old world, would be very much a fixed line, sat at your desk uh, on a fixed network, whereas now we look at most people work and live on the move. They connect through applications. They connect through their mobile device at any point in time they could have multiple things on the go whether that's chat or social so the world 
in which we operate in is vastly different. And what that creates is a high expectation on the experience our consumers want to have. Our business customers are looking for us to make that easy for them, to unravel some of that complexity and help them with that real digital transformation because that's the big shift that we've seen in the last five to seven years. And mostly that's about a massive cultural change. So technology is an element, but it's people and it's how you show up as a business and it's the ambition you have around how you make that move is what's really critical when you think about that. So what would you say some of the businesses in New Zealand, what's the biggest challenge that they will be facing in the next decade that we're entering soon? Well, I think for me it is around that global globalization of the world and therefore how do they make sure that their businesses are fit to compete in a world like that? How are they driving that cultural change? How are they thinking about the future of work and what that will mean for their people? And how are they putting the tools and technology around them? As I said, that's just one element. It's mostly about cultural change and how they empower their leaders to be able to deliver on that. But I think to be competitive in any market, there's not many markets in New Zealand or sectors that don't have established competition, don't have established markets, so everyone's trying to eke out that piece of growth and I think the ones that set them aside are those companies with bold ambition that are prepared to really go after uh, this change and do it in a way that brings their people with them. Is there any New Zealand businesses that you've been seeing that have been doing that really well? I mean there's lots of great uh, New Zealand businesses, you can look at what Zero's achieved in terms of disrupting the accounting profession yeah. and, and taking to a very digital business. But then there's lots of, you know, I think I look across all industries and, and one of the great joys I see in my job is I get to see a number of different businesses, a number of government agencies. I understand I have a much greater appreciation for what's happening in New Zealand than I perhaps ever would have in other roles that I've had. And I love that part of it. I love the curiosity of seeing how people are bringing things together to do it really well. I mean, New Zealand's another great example of that yeah. in terms of the changes led in, they've led in their industry. And I think there'll be more to come in that regard. So I think there are a number of uh, great iconic Kiwi businesses out there, but there's also New Zealand's made up with 150,000 odd small businesses, and that's mostly what we have. So it's around how we help them as well on this journey. What have been some of the proudest moments in your life? I think the recent appointment to the CEO role of Spark was a proud moment for me in terms of when I reflect on where I'd come from and what I'd look to achieve. But but then shortly followed by the people I've been able to bring onto my leadership team. Um, and that's because I've seen them grow, develop, deliver in their roles. They're highly capable and now they've got this opportunity. So that for me as a leader is hugely, um, gives me a lot of pride out of that and seeing them succeed. Yeah. Um, before that, I think uh, things like the um, CFO of the Year Award in terms of when I was in those more in the finance roles for New Zealand. Again, that's because it's about recognition amongst your peers for delivering great change. And we were an organisation that was changely, changing hugely. So for me, most of my proud moments hang around people and and what we've achieved together yeah. as a team. Uh, and, and also, I think for me, uh, that appointment too was around recognition for my family and friends and those people who have supported me throughout my journey working in business. You, you don't get there alone. No. Uh, so I think there's a um, Māori around hei tangata, hei tangata, hei tangata. It's the people, it's the people, it's the people. Yeah. And I think for me that's been a critical part of my journey. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you've been in the position now for, you started in July, right? Yes, so yeah. coming up to six months, yes. Yeah. And you were customer director before. How have the positions changed for you? Like, how was the stepping into that position? I think the biggest thing for me is making sure you step from um, doing to being. Uh, that sort of sounds a bit ethereal, but it's about actually creating the time and space mm. to think about how do you create the best version of yourself to help create meaning for people in your organisation, but also set really bold ambitions for the business so that they can achieve and we can achieve. Because at the end of the day, if we're achieving for New Zealand, then New Zealand prospers. And I think our purpose, which is to help all of New Zealand when big in a digital world, really talks to that. Yeah. Because helping in all of means whether it's consumers, whether it's business, whether it's governments, all the communities that we support, we play an important role. And I've, that's a huge responsibility, but a huge privilege. Yeah. So for me, it's about making sure that I'm spending the time to think about how do those pieces come together to deliver something fantastic uh, for our people, but also our customers. Yeah. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you in the last six months? Look, I certainly hit the ground running. We had uh, our shift into uh, sport has obviously been high profile and there's been so much publicised discussion around Rugby World Cup and part of that's around as leaders stepping forward and owning um, when things go well but also when you have um, some things that haven't gone well within that and then making sure you rectify quickly and moving on. And at the end of the day, if we stand back from that tournament, I'd stand and say it was a, it was a success. We had over 200,000 Kiwis um, new, use a new way of viewing to watch the Cup. And I think for me, some of those challenges are you don't there isn't being learning for that you've actually got to live that's a lived experience and then you have to operate in the moment and do the thing that is right for your business and the thing that from your values point of view that you think is right as well and we're in the middle obviously I think we've talked about this before but we're in the middle of setting resetting our three-year strategy for that's a natural time and we're about to finish our 2020 then for the three years ahead so that's a great time when you think about the ability to think about how the market's changed what we need to be doing in the future and setting that ambition for our people mm. so for the next three years um how would you where would you like to see spark Look, for me, I think it's when I think about that purpose about helping all of New Zealand, I think it's around some simple things around really understanding what our customers want and need and creating experiences that actually deliver to that. In a business sense, one of the roles we've always played is around aggregating and simplifying for our customers to help them succeed. And increasingly, that has to be on a global stage as well. And then for our people, it's about um, creating a organisation that allows them or has an environment and a culture that they can deliver their best work every day and know they're supported and they can bring their whole self to work. So I think across those three elements, it's really around making sure we're leading change from a technology point of view, but at the end of the day, it's also about cultural change and how you bring people with you and your customers with you on that change too. Do you find find it hard to find... uh, good people to work um, to want to work here in New Zealand and Spark. We had some great, I mean, we employ over 5,000 people in our organisation and we had some wonderful people within that uh, who turn up every day. There was always some specialist skills sometimes that we need to work harder on to attract money because there's a shortage period across the industry and whether that's in um, data right now or cybersecurity, yeah. they're all very um, uh, specialist. So then it's thinking about what 
what's what's the thing that we we bring uniquely that gives them that chance and experience? And also, I think recognizing in a world today too that most employees will not be with an organisation as a job for life. So, how do you create an environment for them that they feel they leave more employable than when they were here? but that you're creating the challenges and the opportunities for them to really step in and grow and learn new skills. And so I think for us it's it's thinking about for those specialist areas making sure the environment is fantastic, they get the great work to do, uh, and thinking a little bit smarter about how do we attract. Yeah. And that may involve some offshore to bring some people here, but then for me it's really how do we transfer those skills quickly to the people that we're bringing through? So doing it, you know, both ways in terms of building, yeah. and sometimes you do have to buy, but I don't think that's all the time. And yeah. Internal yeah. Recruiting yeah. Yes. And- yeah, and creating that space of teaching and yeah. coaching uh, because that's where you get greater depth across your whole organisation. Yeah. So um, having you as a CEO, but also having you seen as the um, chair for Spark makes um, makes it the first New Zealand business being on the stock exchange, right? Yes. Um, what do you think is, is the benefit of that? Look, I think it's important in demonstrating what's possible for women in this country. I, I believe you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. 20 years ago, nobody would have believed that our biggest telco would have female chair and chief executive and that three of the four largest banks would have women as chief executives. So, no, that's a big step forward. And what it says about companies that do that is that they're progressive by looking at the widest and most diverse talent pool for its leaders. You're actually making the best choice for that leader. That's not saying that has to be a woman or it has to be a man, but it's going and saying we've got our eyes open across our whole talent pool. Nobody gets here if they don't have the capability. They get tested at the first hurdle, but this is about being open enough to select the right person for the role, and that's a good thing for New Zealand. So having more examples of this, and I think we are seeing it, just like the example around the banks that I talked about, there is opportunity um, for women. It has been slower than any of us would like. Um, And when I look at that... It's not just it's not a New Zealand factor because actually if you look at the government roles and you look at the public sector chief executives, over fifty percent are women already. And some of the largest agencies we have, whether that's Inland Revenue, Ministry of Business, um, M- sorry, MIMBI, uh, Ministry of Social Development. And if you think about the largest governing roles in terms of the Prime Minister, the Governor General, the Chief Justice, they're all women in those roles. So I suggest that business is the one that's mainly lagged behind on that. And I think in publicly listed companies, boards have to have a greater focus on this and have to be asking those questions around succession and how are they creating the pipeline and having the right conversations around that room to create more women in leadership, executive roles in leadership, but also in the CEO or chair roles. Yeah. Um, and if they're not, they're not drawing from the widest and deepest talent pool. Yeah. Um, and I believe over the longer term that will lead to underperformance. What do you what do you think other companies can do to get more women in those kind of positions so they don't get stuck in that middle management? I think it's about having the active conversation. I think it's about creating uh, experiences because one of the challenges or things that you hear is that people don't have an opportunity, don't have had the right experiences to come into. So so one of the things I did as an individual obviously is take risk within my career. So I stepped towards challenges in terms of moving industries, moving cross leadership roles. So from finance to customer to uh, 
large business and government enterprise, which meant that I learned a lot about the technology and operations part of our business. So I put myself in a place that I could add the skills to my toolkit so at a point if the opportunity came whether it was here or somewhere else I would have a much broader set of experiences to be able to do that so my question to companies is how are they thinking about that and that was created by our board by Simon who was I see our Joe our HR director at that time going we need to build um, succession and we need to make sure we're doing that in the broadest possible way. So I think that's the conversation that needs to be happening and thinking about how do you set people up well to have the opportunity to at least put their hat in that ring when the time comes. Um, so that does that does take active thinking. It's at the moments that matter and that can only be leaders who are making those choices. Yeah. And that starts... But it's also thinking about what are our flexible working policies? How do we think about the great um, projects, the great opportunities that come up? Because that doesn't always mean role change. Sometimes that can be secondments, that can be leading out a project from the start. And I think for us, having those talent review conversations that consider it not only for gender, but right across what are the different diverse perspectives we're bringing into our organisation. What's the cultural lens we want to have in our organisation and how are we bringing them together to create a better version of what we have today? Mm. And I think unless you're actively having that conversation, change won't happen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, what are some of your long-term goals? Like, Okay, so for me, probably over the next five years, I'm really focused on delivering, or and maybe longer, in, in, in this role as CEO. And that really is about shaping the execution of our strategy. It's about creating that meaning for our people and setting those bold ambitions so we deliver on the results. Um, and there's more people than me influencing that. That's when I look at my leadership squad, that's about the distributed leadership, working out where am I best to play, where shall they best play to help deliver for the group. And then I think for me personally, I'm a... Uh, big believer in lifelong learning so there's always things that I'm looking to add to my toolkit and I talk about you know holding them up unless you're getting feedback unless you're getting coaching you don't get better yeah uh, and so I've always done that throughout my career and, and being CEO is no different to that do you have do you have a personal um coach yeah now? I have a coach I'm working yeah. with and then I also think about um there are people around me or I've worked with in the past who are outside our organization that'll have a perspective so how do I lean on them sometimes for bringing the different perspectives whether that's um marketing or strategy or whether that's uh just around business operations so it's thinking about the different components and, and being comfortable that you don't have to have all the answers all the time. Yeah. What you've got to be able to do is be curious enough to learn that and to look and, and work with people to help build that up as a team. Other thing for me is I'm learning Tereo a bit more in terms of that um, ability and connection to both our national identity. And, and um, so for me, that's something that uh, I've been learning for a little while, but <laughs> improving day by day. And again, it's one of these things. And until you use it and you're doing it and you're trying, then you don't know what, what's possible. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think is important for us particularly is to make sure we stay connected as to the global world. Mm. It's not only learning from other industries and other businesses, but it's also actually sharing what we're doing. So we've had over 30 companies come down to New Zealand to look at our agile transformation, for example. 
and when they're here and they're connecting with us, we also can have conversations about things that are, they're learning from us, but we can learn from them. And we're building a network. And I think that's really critical. If you look at the world that we operate in today, partnerships and collaboration will be critical. That means that sometimes you'll work um, with people that you may not have considered. You might have thought they were your competitors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but other times um, you will be competing hard against that. So you've got to think about where is what skills do you have as an organisation and what would you be better to work with somebody else to achieve? Uh, and I think that that is a big shift in terms of entities not focused on it's always got to be win-lose. So where's the win-win in it for us? And it makes just keeps us connected to what's happening in an industry that moves fast. Um, and one of the benefits of being New Zealand too, obviously, is people look and think oh, it's a long way away. They're not really competing. <laughs> so And it's true in many instances. So people are happy to share. It's really around reaching out and being curious about it and being clear about what you're actually trying to learn and then being open, sort of reciprocal, being open to sharing what you're up to as well. So you mentioned that transformation going to an agile um, workplace. How have you been part of driving that transformation? Yeah, look, we went offshore and around um, as a leadership squad around September 17, around that time. And we went to Europe to have a look at companies that were shifting towards agile because we knew what we wanted to deliver, but what we were clear on is the how needed to change. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to go and look at, we went to Europe because mostly they were companies that were what I'd call legacy companies like ourselves. So they weren't born in agile, they weren't born in the cloud, for example. They were making a similar shift to us. And we wanted to understand sort of the real oil around how easy was it to do, what were their learnings, and get a cross section so we could start to think about what do we want to be in that world versus some of the ones that may not have been for us so we went for the sort of foosball ping pong table version we were much more around you know a publicly listed company it's got to deliver operational performance but the real there were three whys why we're thinking about going to agile one was to improve our customer experience and the speed to market when we looked at who we're competing against and then the last one was really about employee contribution and empowering them more and we saw this as a way of doing that so we went in October, uh, we came back as an executive team. We had a couple of days off-site to really work through it and go, are we up for this? And this wasn't a decision you could make by consensus. You actually individually had to commit because it was such a different way of working. And but you couldn't be the yes but no crowd. You either had to be in and fully in or else it was probably a different choice for you to make within, within the organisation. So that happened pretty quickly. Then by February, we had uh, front-runner tribes, not to test it, but so our people could see what was it like to work in this in this way of working. Mm-hmm. Um, and who did I know and who could I go and have a chat to about that? And it's a great way to demonstrate what the world might be like in the future when it's such a fundamentally, because what we did is effectively collapse business units, hierarchies, titles, um, and shift us, our teams to working in effectively cross-cultural squads who had a purpose a specific purpose or mission that they and they led it up into a tribe and then that tribe had a mission and a purpose effectively and no more than sort of between 70 and 150 people in in those tribes and for us a lot of those are centred around product journeys or around what we're trying to do with customer segment and then they come together effectively to deliver on the overall purpose for the group so very different to being in a BU where you've got I'm in my functional team there's a lot of handoff, a lot of emails, a lot of meetings to suddenly being in a small squad with two-week sprints, very clear objectives. 
I've only got the things within the sprint that we're focused on delivering and I'm accountable to my peers every day at stand up mm. uh, and we used to a, a frame of thinking for our people when we talked about so for two weeks 10 people it was roughly $40,000 are, are you getting $40,000 of value out of what you're working on now and it yeah. really sharpens the mind about what you're doing yeah. in terms of prioritisation so we've been on that journey for around about 18 months now uh, and we did a reset or a, we wanted to wait nine months just make sure we really understood what it was like to work in that and then then adjust versus there's organ rejection because it's not the same as before and yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater so we went through that lots of things were working really well but there's some things we wanted to change than we learned from uh, so we did that in around April and so six months on we're now just focusing on how we continue to pro- improve our performance within that way of working but our people love it we shared it with many of our customers both locally and as I said there's been a lot of international companies that have come to see because I think the difference on how we've managed it is we've taken both our technical teams but our commercial business completely into this way of working we did it from the decision to go in October we moved half or two and a half thousand people in July the next year so that was a very fast very fast transition it is and that touched everything from uh, employment contract how you think about people's contribution within the the business um, empowerment so you go from a delegated authority to effectively empowerment as I said business units hierarchies all of those things being collapsed Uh, so that's been a great part of the change journey we're on and we think it really sets us up well to deliver on the what as we go ahead what are some of the responses you've been getting from the employees what we've seen is our one as I said one of the reasons we went into this was greater empowerment and our we we have an employee net promoter score that has grown under this model and you've got to remember that's in a context of changing and learning a whole new way of working you always have those sort of valley of despair, the mountain, I can't remember what they call the mountain one, but you know, you're constantly having to rethink how I do things around here. That takes time, but what we've been really pleased with how quickly our people have moved towards us and the skills that it provides them. I talked earlier about that future of work. Yeah. It's pretty critical to be able to keep adding tools and ways of working as you step out, um, as you think ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and be more collaborative. Yes. And, yeah. Open and so that's change. helped lead a lot of the cultural change we were already on as an organisation around Agile really is a huge change in culture in terms of every voice being heard, not just um, yeah, so not being managed or directed. It's more around there's a there's a view of team success. There's some clear KPIs within that, but how you get there is really the squad squad's driving that rather than yeah. someone telling how that might be. So I think from that point of view, it lifts accountability, but it also uh, values all the voices around the table. Yeah, it's more a team. team yes, team, team, team success yes. rather than yeah. individual performance. Um, what would you say have been, if you look back on your career, what have been some of the biggest struggles for you? I think when I stand back at my career and look at it, I, I think probably the biggest things have probably been the things I put, the limitations I put on myself early on. And sometimes if you, if you get to the heart of what is that, there's fear of failure. And uh, so I was lucky enough, talked about coaching and feedback. I was lucky enough to lean into that and make sure that I started to address some of those things. So I got external coaching when I was living in Sydney, um, working for Lion to really help unpack why was that, which then helped me step and have the courage to step into the new opportunities that put in front of me rather than think about why couldn't I or why shouldn't I or what didn't I have. It was like, how do I take what I have and step into that? And I think that would probably be one of the biggest things I'd say to people the confidence uh, to back yourself 
at the same time as the openness to keep learning. So you have to do that. can't be blind confidence. You actually have to keep adding to your toolkit, reaching out for experiences. Not be afraid of failing. Yeah, so I went, I shifted roles, went from being in a sort of central role to a commercial market-facing role very just as I came back from having my second and I've got two children so they were 16 months apart so very close in age yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had two young children under two and moving into a new role like that I was like whoa should I just stay where I am because that would be comfortable um, but I probably learnt the most in that role I and for me I think it opened up a huge amount of opportunity as a result of that so I forever look at that as that first sort of major learning or step forward into something that was more challenging that I was taking some personal risk and at that time I am still am was the only uh, a breadwinner in our family so that would have you know it was broader than just as something I feel like doing you feel the right weight of that responsibility but in doing that it opened up commercial experience that I hadn't had before it let me test some of those things that perhaps were holding me back lived experience is the best way of growing in my view and so doing that gave me the courage too the next time something else came along I thought right I'm going to step into this and you learn from those experiences and you also learn where is the line from being a little bit uncomfortable and that's good and you're learning your most to being too out of control and you actually need to pull it back a bit so I think there's there's that whole range so I think for me probably the limitations were more some of the ones I put around myself than I actually experienced I've had lots of I've had a number of great employers and worked for a number of great leaders in relation to that who have given me opportunities you've got to work hard Mm. there is no free lunch in life We, we know that but if you're doing those things and you're stretching yourself and you're owning where you want to go and I think that's the other important thing nobody can make that choice for you you have to decide what the balance is probably the other thing I had within that um, is that struggle that a lot of people go through got to be Wonder Woman you've got to be doing everything at home um, I've got a great husband who's hugely supportive and has really helped me uh, with my, in doing what I want to with my career But it's the pressure you put on yourself across those things. And I think part of that's about as you get older, you realise you can relieve that uh, pressure valve. Everyone has the same sorts of struggles. It's really working out what's the priority for you. There is no perfect work-life balance. And it changes as your children's age change. And and for a lot of people, it might not be about children. It might be about ageing parents. It might be about a sport they want to pursue outside of work. So it's find the right thing for you and then be confident in that you're owning that Mm. and the choices that go with that. Yeah, how much would you say to someone that feels like they are limiting their uh, themselves because of fear? Or I think the thing is, what's I was thinking about what's the need behind the need. So why, what you keep asking yourself the why till you get to not the symptom, because often people can look at the symptom, not yeah. really what's what's driving that, and then how do you go about um, asking for help? to change that and I think that's the other thing I'd probably say as a learning make sure you ask for help we can tend to want to do a lot and and not want to necessarily look like there's any kind of perceived weakness by asking but actually by asking for help when you're articulating what you think the opportunity is but most people are prepared to lean in and and if if I think about myself I'm very happy to help other people with the things they need so I think it's that lens of Lean in and just verbalize yeah. what needs to happen. Yeah. How do you think businesses need to adapt to the big change that are coming in technology? 
I think we talked about that a little earlier. I think mostly it's about change of mindset yeah. and it's that bold ambition and it's a balance of getting risk-taking with, with the pace of change. So, so how do they get the combination of those things so they feel comfortable enough to move ahead and what level of risk are they prepared to change? Because I'd argue staying still is actually taking more risk yeah. than shifting towards this. And so it's mostly a massive cultural change. When you think about that, it's really around getting your business ready for the degree of change and building muscle memory for that. Because technology is just an enabler. It it helps you do the things you want to do. So get clear about what you want to do and then think about how how might this help me accelerate towards that. And and who, like anything, it's how do I lead through this change? How do you think, if we look into the future, how do you think technology will help the way that we communicate or how will it change? I think it's already broken down lots of barriers. I talked about globalisation and the shift from there are really no geographical barriers anymore. I think the speed, uh, most of the world works, it's is moving to a wireless world so both flexibility of work so people working in different places at any point in time and you see great platforms whether you're looking at your Microsoft Teams or other things that are coming together to help enable that it's about a mindset then that goes with that in terms of how do you take the best advantage and really understand what that technology can do for you so it's about being curious and having conversations I think about the work we're doing with um, Emirates Team New Zealand on the early stages of 5G and how we're helping them to make the boat go faster. Now, you wouldn't have necessarily think that that's the first place you'd start, but increasingly the America's Cup is a technology race. And what that does is it allows them to have video streaming back almost in real time, data movement, so they can tune their performance while they're on the water. And they've got a whole team of engineers sitting back at their base down at um, the viaduct. So that's a great example of using data and precision to create time. So how else might you apply that in another business? And yeah. I think that's the thing we need to be doing more of, the asking questions about the why, 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 and how might we. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you'll see the real power of technology um, come to life because I think it's moving fast, but it always comes down to, but how am I going to use it? Because having technology for the sake of it isn't really that useful to no, anyone. exactly. <laughs> it's also it's about working. It makes it, it smart. That's yeah. right. It's working out yeah. where the barriers are too. I run a 24-7 business. I could be connected all day, every day. Yeah. Um, but it's about working out when do you actually come down from that yeah. uh, to make sure that it doesn't run you effectively. Yeah. So talking about 5G, um, what, would you, what would you say are some of the benefits I think in the first instance, when you look at uh, New Zealand and the topography of New Zealand, one of the biggest firsts from a consumer point of view is the the opportunity for wireless broadband, which effectively is just using the mobile network Mm. to create broadband. Now, we've got a great uh, UFB fibre infrastructure that's around about 85% of the country, but there's still a lot of, there are places that still don't have that. So if we think about the opportunity to be able to just plug and play a modem, which is effectively what you're doing, and then you're connected, um, 5G, that's by far the biggest case we're seeing offshore. And then over time, the cases will build into things like um, where there's low latency, which just means that things that need real precision in terms of, we talk about surgery, other things where you are having data cross data move at speed, you've got to be very careful that you don't lose that that connection or coverage. Um, you see things like surgery, other things like that. Manufacturing in terms of uh, using that again for precision, mm-hmm. autonomous cars eventually, those things are a few years off. 
but they're being tested more and more. And I think from my point of view, it's probably the biggest opportunity sits in business first off, biggest consumer opportunity as well as broadband. And, and mostly a world of video streaming means that people in gaming, if you think about that, it's again a great use for 5G because effectively you've got, again, low latency, high speed of data, and you want it to be very precise. So it's opening up all sorts of different use cases, and we're at the early stages of that internationally. There's probably 20 operators who have rolled 5G out. We're in the process of doing that. New Zealand's... um, Getting started, Spectrum is one of the big things that we need to be able to do that well, and that's the options are sort of next year, so that that should be good. Uh, so, what technology do you think we should watch growing in the next decade? So, I think the things like I talked about with what what the possibilities of five, and that's really yeah. again a base enabler. Yeah, I think again it's another. I talk about bringing applications together or different tools together to create power. So, if you think about one of the things I recently um, met Satya. Nadella, so the Microsoft CEO, and one of the first things he did when he went into that CEO role was look at how do their suite of services get out and agreed to put it on the iPad, which was the main competitor for them. Now, that, that's a big shift in terms of thinking about how do, what do we believe will be true in the future yeah. and then what do we need to do and who do we need to collaborate with. And I think that's the mindset as leaders we have. We won't know all the technologies that will come. I mean, I look at blockchain and, and there's a lot of talk around crypto, but actually what we're seeing is a big opportunity around um, what we call self-sovereign identities, the ability to own your own identity and you own that credential and use blockchain chain to be able to use that credential to authenticate you, whether that's to uh, your Lightbox app, whether that's to Passport. So, so they're the exciting things that are coming. And I think what you can't predict is what all those will be. Yeah. But what you do have to have is the curiosity to explore it and think about what's the useful case in New Zealand. So we've got a company called Matter that's working on that particular one, for example, which is much more of a horizon sort of to and beyond opportunity. Yeah. But there's a lot of interest because people can see in the simplest form how that might help. Do you have a quote to live by? I do. The one I really, um, really resonates for me is the standard you all pass is the standard you accept. And that was actually, it's, it's a few years old and it was the chief who was the former chief of the Australian Army. And what he's talking to there is around behaviour. So if you think in an organisation, you may not be the instigator of someone, but if you know it's happening, where you walk past something that's happening and do nothing about that, then that's the standard that you accept as a leader or as an individual. So I think it has great relevance in any organisation that you look across or um, with our people to think around, is that the standard that I think is right for us as a business? And it's a good way to hold yourself to account and the people that work within that business to account. That's why it talks to me, really. I I like it because it's really about you taking action. You can't ignore it. It's not somebody else's problem. It's yours to actually deal with. What does equality mean to you? When I think about equality, I think actually more about equity because I think when I think about equity, and and the example I use is if you've got a fence and you've got different people of different heights, um, equality would be giving them each the same box. But equity is about recognising that some are shorter than others, so you actually have to give them more to be able to look over the top. And I think equity is important. So that recognises that some people are born with privilege, some people have access to things that others don't. So how 
how are we thinking about that as leaders to actually reduce that inequity that sits there to create equality? Mm-hmm. I think that's a powerful um, concept. And for me, when I think about that in our organisation, one of the things we're really focused on is around creating access to um, the internet, for example. There's still a few hundred thousand homes within New Zealand that don't have. Partly there'll be choice, but there are a number of those homes that have income poverty when you look at the census um, statistics. So one of the things we've been passionate about through our foundation is a proposition called Spark Jump, which is a not-for-profit, really putting um, the access to the internet in the hands of those families and, and, and children to be able to learn. But in the children learning and using it, so does the family have a chance to understand. And if you think about most job applications, banking, many other things you do in life require you to be able to use and understand the internet safely. So for me, this is a really critical part of something we should do as an organisation to support that, and it's critical to New Zealand. And New Zealand's of a size and nature that we should be able to get our arms around this, and it's something that we should do with private and public and community groups. It's not something that one organisation Organization or one group should should do. I think we work together. So one of the first things I've done when we're thinking about this is stepping into this role is bring together a group of those people who, what I call a coalition of the willing, who are really interested in helping to solve this for New Zealand. And, and for me, those are the things I think, when I think about equity, it's really around creating a playing field that allows them to achieve. Yeah. 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 Great. What would you say, or how would you describe leadership? I think for me, when you think about leadership, it's about creating meaning in your business. So you, when I think about our purpose, that purpose is to create a higher, so not that I turn up each day, I do my tasks. And if you think about it, so for example, we created Kupu, which is a Maori language app. So I could describe the work I do as a developer as I code for a Maori language application or I'm working on Kupu to revitalise a language within New Zealand. Like, how much more powerful was that second statement to go, I understand what it means and I want to be part of something bigger than putting sort of the bricks in a a layer. So I think for us as leaders, it's important that we create meaning in what we're doing. I think leadership is also about uh, recognising the strengths you have, but what are the strengths around you and how do you distribute that leadership so you get the power of the team? And I think that's much more of the world of CEO of the future than it is the probably atypical image that might have been you're in an office in the big chair, all the calls have to come to you, your word is king, and I don't think that's I don't think that's the future and that's not how we get the best decisions made uh, as an organization. And I think leadership is also being prepared to listen and making sure you take the time to do that so you do cultivate the best ideas through the organisation. And a lot of those things are easy to say. Yeah. Say them fast enough, all sounds very easy. And the moment, you've got to actively practice those and some days I get it right, sometimes I don't. But that's part of being clear about what you need to do um, and how you do that is, 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 I think, the thing that helps guide me in terms of making those choices. Yeah. And then getting the feedback so you know when you're not doing it yeah, exactly. <laughs> as, well as, as well as you could be. <laughs> Making sure that your, your staff is open about that too. Yeah. Great. What, how would you describe success? I think for me, saying our people live our purpose and if we're living our purpose, then we're helping New Zealand to prosper and that's really important, um, both for our customers. And then I think about, from a personal point of view, it's about healthy, happy kids living their best lives in terms of my family and the families around us. Um, They're the things that I look at and 
think about when I think about success because if we're doing all those things, then Spark is achieving as well. Um, New Zealand, it starts with New Zealand prospering. Spark's doing well for both our customers, our people and our stakeholders, which is broader community plus our shareholders. Are you still involved in on being involved? Yes, I am. Yeah, you so, are. In fact, I'm talking there around leading with purpose. Yeah. So it's all around purpose with a, the purpose of a country, of an organisation, your personal purpose and thinking about how that how that um, how you demonstrate that every day and get clear on what's important to you and the people around you so that's a big part of uh, what I do as well and I love that ability to be able to give back and to connect yeah. um, in the last few years we've had over 700 people at, at those conferences that's amazing yeah but it's, it's it's about sharing experiences, bringing new ideas, and having a chance to reflect. We don't often get a chance to stop and reflect and think about, okay, what do I want to do next, and how do I set myself up for it? So that's partly what we you know aspire for with that day, and yeah. to bring some different speakers that help trigger those moments of reflection. So what else is it that on being bold are doing? So we have a site too, which we're sharing videos, stories. Um, we've had the Year 13 dinner, so that's for Year 13 girls who, which is effectively a day that we ran this year for the first time. We invited a number of girls from different schools in and around Auckland um, to give them an opportunity. And we called it, it was framed around Dreaming Big. So Kathy Quinn, who is one of our Being Bold members, led this this day for us. It was really, again, sharing some panels, getting different speakers from different um, walks of life, different experiences to show what's possible. Yeah. And that's really what it was framed about. And then they got to end the day actually with the um, Dame Patsy Reading at the Governor General's house. She had a function to end that. So it was a great day for them. And to, again, invest in the future. Yeah. And future women leaders within New Zealand. Exactly. And I guess also delivering on that, you can't be what you can't see. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we'll carry on with that. I think yeah. Kathy's planning for the next yeah. next event. So, And that's a great part of realm what, why we're doing what we're doing as well, the ability to give back in different yeah. parts of the community, not only to business leaders, but also beyond that. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I think my, you know, my one piece of advice for 20, I would try as many things as early as possible. Be curious and open. That would be, i do one. <laughs> <laughs> and you're 30 year old self. I think 30s, you're more in the have the courage to take some risks and step towards it. And often when you're in that mindset set of how do I be all things to everyone in terms of if I've got families or other things going on in my life, yeah. take the time to recognise that you need a great support network around you and... You can't be. You don't need to be Wonder Woman. You can balance those things out. And your forty-year-old self have bold ambitions. <laughs> Step towards it. It's a little bit of a build on the thirties, but I think in the forties, be happy to speak out loud about that. Same thirties about what you want. Instead, about owning it because nobody will give you something. You've got to work hard to get it, but you've also got to have the ambition and the desire to want it. And only you can make that choice about what it is. Yeah. That can be in the home life, that can be in community, it can be in your work environment. So I think 40s is more about being comfortable with who you are and what, you, what you've got to offer. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Susanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. 
In the next episode of Go Power Pod, I meet up with Priti Avani. She works as an innovation director at TechShooters Lab and also a guru when it comes to collaborative economy, also called sharing economy, peer-to-peer economy. Yes, has a lot of different names. So we dig a bit deeper into what that actually means. And with COVID changing our lives drastically, this episode might be more relevant than ever. So make sure you tune in.